Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Wednesday, January the 3rd, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, radio message recordings show that the air controller did not permit the Japanese Coast Guard to enter the runway before a collision with a passenger plane. The head of Hamas has called the killing of the militants group's deputy leader a terrorist act. China and Thailand are working on reciprocal visa waiver policies set to take effect in March. In business, new measures to support China's private policy. Uh, e- private economy in sports, Rafael Nadal's winning return at Brisbane International. In culture and entertainment, a Norwegian DJ's successful China tour. Now today's top stories. The pilot of the Japanese Coast Guard aircraft says he got permission to take off from Haneda Airport in Tokyo before the collision with a Japan Airlines passenger plane that was landing. The pilot is the only survivor of the six crew members on the plane that was delivering supplies for earthquake-stricken areas in Japan. He's receiving treatment for severe burns. An official with Japan's transportation authorities say recordings show that air traffic control had signaled to the Japan Airlines plane to land, but did not ask the Coast Guard aircraft to enter the runway. The controller and the airport says they instructed the Coast Guard plane to taxi to the runway instead of entering. The nearly 400 passengers and crew on board the passenger flight all escaped to safety. Passengers on board the Japan Airlines plane have recounted their miraculous escape on Tuesday. Aruto Irama was on the plane after visiting his family in Hokkaido. At landing, I felt strong shaking, and when I look at the window, I saw sparks flying and burning. And when the plane stopped, in less than one minute, the cabin was full of smoke. Then the cabin attendant led us, and we escaped via the slide. He said the flight attendants kept passengers calm and made a safe exit possible. There were screams, and the cabin attendant was leading us with a loud voice. Even though I heard screams, mostly people were calm and did not stand up from their seats, but kept sitting and waiting. That's why I think we were able to escape smoothly. Airlines have cancelled over 300 flights following the collision. The crash forced the airport to shut down all runways for several hours on Tuesday evening. The magnitude 7.6 earthquake in Japan on New Year's Day has killed dozens and injured hundreds of people. Damaged roads have hampered relief efforts, but Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida says sea routes have opened to allow the delivery of aid. The region on Japan's west coast is expecting more tremors and bad weather. Patrick Falk tells us more. One of the things that the Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has talked about is not wanting the events at Haneda Airport to disrupt rescue operations, and he's reiterated that there is a race against time to save lives. That's because there are still many, many people trapped beneath the rubble of collapsed buildings. Just to give you an idea of what that might look like, in the town of Suzu, one of the hardest-hit areas, it's a town of around 5,000. Households. We're told that 90% of homes have been destroyed. So you can imagine just how many people are still waiting to be rescued. It's difficult to say just how much success 
rescue teams here are having in building roads and reopening expressways and so on and so forth to reach some of these hard-hit areas. Uh, the Prime Minister has said that that is a, a focus of right now. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that weather forecasters are saying is that there is rain expected and Japan's meteorological agency has said that even light rain could trigger landslides because of the impact of the earthquake on the terrain. So that is something that is likely to make rescue efforts even harder. That was Patrick Falk reporting from Tokyo. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has also warned earthquake survivors that they may not be able to return home for some time. People say it was a traumatic experience. We felt slight tremors at first, then got the warnings. All of a sudden, everything started to shake violently. My house was damaged. I was very sad when it happened. I was speechless. My house has suffered severe damage. The window was crushed and it cannot open. It can't be repaired. I don't know what to do with it next. It's dangerous. Be careful. The tiles could fall. Insomnia happens to survivors because of the psychological trauma from the earthquake. Even slight aftershocks can make people feel anxious. This happens to me and the others sheltering here. Emergency management authorities have issued warnings to nearly 100,000 people across several prefectures to take shelter. Residents of a small town in Japan are clearing up the aftermath of the deadly earthquake that brought small tsunami waves damaging some homes. Kazuyuki Iwaike from Noto Ishikawa saw his home by the sea damaged. I was at work, so I wasn't home. But if I was home, it probably would have been dangerous because of the tsunami. Everywhere was the same with the earthquake and shaking, but the tsunami came inside. So if I was here, it would have been dangerous. Water, power and mobile phone services are still down in some areas. South Korean opposition leader Lee Jae-myun is recovering in intensive care at a hospital in Seoul after a knife-wielding man stabbed him in the neck in Busan. Lee received emergency treatment at a local hospital before undergoing surgery in Seoul. The suspect is in custody and police are investigating the incident. Jack Barton has more. Police still investigating what the motive of this man would be. They know his identity now. They're only calling him Kim by his family name. They know he's 66 years old. Uh, the court down in Pusan has issued an, uh, a search warrant and no mention yet of mental health issues. But of course, one must assume uh, that as part of this, they'll be checking into the man's mental health uh, as perhaps part of the motive. We've had very much a sense of unity. Uh, this is probably the only time we've had such unity from all of the political parties, from President Yoon Song-yeol and rivals, uh, all really coming on board saying, describing it as an act of terror for a start, and the prosecutor's office has also described it as such a, an act of terrorism against a political party, and uh, really condemning this and saying something ought to be done about it. The president already saying that measures will be taken to beef up protection for politicians. There were 50 officers on site, uh, but they were managing crowd control. Remember, we had the big Halloween stampede crush last year, so crowd control is really a big focus for police these days and also the traffic but not for personal protection. President Yoon also already ordering a big review into that process. The Democratic Party also backing that review. 
that was Jack Barton in Seoul. Police have raided the home and office of the suspect in the central city of Asan as part of the ongoing investigation. Police say the suspect told investigators he attempted to kill Lee and had plotted his attack alone, but his motive is unknown. They are planning to ask for a formal arrest warrant for the suspect over alleged attempted murder. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, the head of Hamas has called the killing of the militants group's deputy leader a terrorist act. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platform and get ready to dive in. It's nine minutes past the hour. Hamas chief Ismail Haniyeh has mourned the militant group's deputy leader who died in an attack in Beirut. Haniyeh called the killing of Saleh al-Aruri a terrorist act and a violation of Lebanon's sovereignty and an expansion of Israel's hostility against the Palestinians. Protesters in the West Bank took to the streets vowing revenge. Lebanon's state-run media attributed the explosion in Beirut to an Israeli drone strike. The Israeli military has, decl- has declined to comment. Hezbollah leader Said Hassan Nasrallah has vowed to retaliate against any Israeli targeting of Palestinians in Lebanon. Associated Press correspondent Isabel Debris reports from Jerusalem. The deputy leader of Hamas has been killed in what appeared to be an attack in the southern suburbs of Beirut, the Lebanese capital. Suspicion immediately fell on Israel, which has targeted Salah al-Ruri in the past many times and also has threatened to kill Hamas leaders wherever they may be. That's actually a quote from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in November as he spoke on this issue. As we do know, many Hamas leaders are in the Gaza Strip, but also many political leaders are outside of the Gaza Strip, living in Lebanon, Turkey, Qatar, because that is important they say, for liaising with foreign officials. We do know that Saleh Halaruri was in Lebanon. He was deputy leader to second-in-command to Ismail Haniyeh, the political leader of Hamas, but also was in charge of military operations in the occupied West Bank. And the fact that Israel has targeted him on Lebanese soil has produced shock and fear in Lebanon. It also has produced fears of retaliation by Hezbollah and also perhaps another blow for Hamas as it struggles to defend itself against Israel's campaign in Gaza. So we've been seeing that the tensions are reverberating. The Israeli military has not commented on the strike. It has only said that it is ready for all scenarios, alluding to fears of a retaliation. That was Isabel Debris with the Associated Press. The United Nations says the attack that killed Saleh al-Aruri is extremely worrying. The UN Secretary General's Associate Spokesperson Florencia Sotonino called for restraint. I think our message to everyone has been, it's, is the same, that because of the escalating tensions and the fragility of the situation in the region, we are calling to, for maximum restraints from all parties. We don't want any, any, rash, any rash actions that could trigger further violence. The spokesperson reminded people of Secretary General Antonio Guterres' warning about the dangers of the spillover of the conflict in the wider region. Since Israel and Hamas renewed their hostilities in October, the fighting has been concentrated at a few kilometers from the Israel-Lebanon border. But on several occasions, Israel's air force have hit Hezbollah targets deeper in Lebanon. 
Hezbollah earlier said its fighters carried out several attacks along the border, targeting Israeli military posts. Donald Trump has appealed Maine's decision to disqualify him from the state's Republican presidential primary ballot. Secretary of State Shanna Bellows concluded that Trump is ineligible for holding office and the White House because of his role in the attack on the U.S. Capitol in early 2021. Lawyers for the former president argued that the decision by top electoral officials in Maine was based on bias and a lack of due process. The Republican frontrunner was also banned in Colorado. Voting for this year's presidential election begins in Iowa this month. Owen Fairclough takes a look at Trump's chaotic campaign. Can Donald Trump still run as a candidate in Colorado even after its historic decision to disqualify him from the ballot? The state Supreme Court ruled that the former president isn't constitutionally eligible to run due to his role in the January the 6th insurrection. Trump engaged in that insurrection. But the ruling isn't as straightforward as that. Not least for Colorado's top election official. This is a case that has taken lots of, of twists and turns. We have expected an appeal from the former president. Colorado's Republican Party has appealed that decision to the U.S. Supreme Court, while Trump is also expected to file his own appeal. So Colorado's ruling has been effectively postponed until this Thursday, the day before the deadline to be on the ballot for Colorado's March 5th primary, when voters choose their Republican presidential candidate. I certify the names onto the ballot uh, for the presidential primary this Friday. Uh, and so we, we do hope that the court understands that presidential primaries are rapidly approaching and gives us a definitive answer whether or not the former president is disqualified from the ballot. So if the Supreme Court declines to take Trump's case, all rules in his favor before the first ballots for overseas voters are printed, his name will still be on them. But if the Supreme Court rules after that, those dispatched later for domestic mail or in-person voting might not include Trump, leaving Colorado with two different ballots. That complex scenario is shaping a potentially chaotic presidential election. Trump has also been disqualified in Maine, while there are similar cases pending in around 10 states, with another six having dismissed attempts to stop Trump running. That was Owen Fairclough on Donald Trump's presidential campaign. Border agents in the United States say they registered more than 300,000 encounters with undocumented migrants heading toward the U.S. A massive caravan has been marching through Mexico looking for better paid jobs and living conditions. Frank Contreras visited a migrant camp in Mexico and met some members there. As migrant encounters in the southwestern United States break record numbers, more are on their way to the U.S. On Christmas Eve, a caravan of thousands departed from Tapachula near the border with Guatemala. After advancing a little over 100 kilometers, they took a few days to rest and recover, spending New Year's in a small town in southern Chiapas state. Many are families from Central and South America, traveling with small children. They struggle to get enough food and water. The children pass their days playing and asking their parents questions about when their journey will end. The people here have many questions on their mind. Will the Mexican government offer them a hand, food, water, housing? What will happen to them if they do reach Mexico City eventually? And just how many of them will eventually make it to the United States? 
At this stage, they have no other choice but to sit and wait. Sarai Reina Paz, a pregnant woman from Guatemala, is among the travelers. She left behind four children and hopes to find a better paying job. There is work available where I come from, I can't deny it. But it does not pay enough for the needs of my mother, who I support, my four children and my nephews and nieces. I'm looking for better paying work so that their lives can improve. But this long walk is costing so much. Yesterday we went with a woman to wash her dishes and clothing. That paid for our food. I'm always out looking for work. A few migrants traveling alone broke away from the larger group just before New Year's, hoping to advance as quickly as possible toward the United States. It's dangerous. The first few nights here we heard that someone tried to kidnap a little girl. It's scary because we could not help her. I'm a woman and all I could do is try to protect myself. The uncertainty is stressful. They will continue to rest and soon return to the long road northbound. That was Frank Contreras in southern Mexico. Somalia has rejected a port deal signed between its region of Somaliland and Ethiopia. The pact allows Ethiopia to use a major port in Somaliland with access to the Red Sea. It says Ethiopia will, will in return recognize Somaliland as an independent state. The Somali authorities say the agreement has no legal force, describing it as an open interference with the country's sovereignty, freedom and unity. President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed says Somaliland will always remain a region of Somalia. No one has the power to give away a piece of Somalia. Our grandfather refused, our forefathers refused, and our mothers refused. We ourselves refused to give our land, and it is not possible. Somali people will never accept it. Somalia has also recalled its ambassador to Ethiopia for deliberations over the deal. Coming up, China and Thailand are working on reciprocal visa waiver policies set to take effect in March. Discover the realities and responses to our changing climate with Climate Watch. Uncover critical issues such as the Maasai Mara's disrupted wildebeest migration and the drop in the Panama Canal's water levels. Delve into solutions for a sustainable future. Tune in to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platform. Become more eco-conscious and take action to protect our planet. It's 19 minutes past the hour. China says it's working with Thailand on reciprocal visa waiver policies that is expected to take effect in March. A foreign ministry spokesperson says the visa exemption will boost people-to-people exchanges between the two countries. Thailand has been aiming to attract Chinese tourists after the lifting of COVID restrictions. China was Thailand's largest source of tourists before the pandemic. Data from Thailand's National Travel Bureau shows that travelers from the Chinese mainland made more than 9 million trips in the first seven months of 2019, contributing nearly 9 billion U.S. dollars in revenue. Thailand offered a five-month visa waiver program for Chinese travelers starting September last year. Martin Lo in the tourist resort Phuket tells us about this significance. This is a big deal here in Thailand, a country that relies 
very heavily on tourism income for its economy and attracting back here Chinese visitors is its number one priority. Now, at the moment, Chinese visitors can already come here visa-free, but it was only for the current high season. Now, a really early test of this uh, new freer policy, it's Chinese New Year. Traditionally, thousands and thousands of Chinese people come to Thailand for Chinese New Year. It's a short five-hour flight and this will be a good indication for both sides as to whether this new policy is starting to work. Another big deal of of this new arrangement is, is that it will strengthen the Thai passport. At the moment, the Thai passport is only seen as medium strength because that means a number of countries, many countries, demand visas on top. But gaining uh, visa-free entry to a big and important nation like China will do a lot to strengthen uh, the Thai passport in in the eyes of the international community. Also, finally, um, uh, waiving this restriction is expected to see the number of visitors from Thailand to China also to increase quite a lot. And early estimates say that they think that the number of uh, outbound tourists from Thailand to China should go up by anything between 10 and 30 percent. That was Martin Lowe reporting. Children and young people in China who serve the Internet are now under the protection of a new set of rules that aims to create a healthy online environment. It also pledges to protect the legitimate rights of those people. Yo Yang spoke with political science and law professor Zhang Nan from both a professional and personal perspective. Adopted by Chinese lawmakers last October, the regulations came into effect on January the 1st. They were proposed by the Cyberspace Administration of China and outline measures to regulate online content, protect personal information and prevent internet addiction among children and young people. This regulation is the first specialized regulation uh, on the protection of minors on the internet introduced by China. This shows the highest attitude, uh, attention and the care of the government to the growth and the development of manners. This will provide a very strongly legal guarantee for the healthy growth of manners in online space. Legal experts highlight the importance of Article 25, which states that no organization or individual shall stand, push, deceive or force minors to come into contact with online information that containing harmful or potentially harmful content that may affect their physical and mental health. Then there's Article 55, which outlines possible legal consequences for those who have found to have violated Article 25. They include warnings, fines and the possible cancellation of business licenses. Article 25, designed in a how what we call it the prohibitive um, action way, because these actions are prohibited by the by this regulation, and also the subjects uh, of uh, subjects are very broad. Article fifty five is the punishment article. Um, it is. Uh, you know, list all the punishments. Official data shows that last June, the number of internet users in China surpassed 1 billion. Experts say while internet access expands the space for them to learn and live, it also creates challenges, such as internet addiction, the impact of exposure to harmful online information on physical and mental health, and what they see as indiscriminate collection and use of personal information. First of all, as a parent of six-year-old daughter, um, 
I, I think uh, I will have a very high regulation on myself. I'm not addicted to the internet and I'm not addicted to online games. Parents uh, are the role models of their children and children usually copies or mirror the behavior of parents. Second, parents need to have a desire to know what's going on in the legislative system and what will be your legal guarantee. Experts say to protect the minors' rights online, the joint efforts made by families, schools and social media platforms are all important besides the country's legal framework. That was Yo Yang on protecting young people from the harms of the internet. A zoo in South Korea has unveiled a pair of new baby panda twins before they meet visitors. Ray Bao and Hui Bao celebrated their six-month anniversary on Wednesday. They will be presented to visitors on Thursday as the youngest members of the panda family at Amusement Park Everland in Yongying, south of Seoul. Their mother is also living at the same zoo. The female twin's older sibling, Fu Bao, was the first panda born in South Korea in 2020. Air quality in the Chinese capital has remained above national standards for three consecutive years. The Municipal Ecology and Environment Bureau says PM2.5 concentration in Beijing averaged 32 micrograms per cubic meter in 2023. The annual average concentration of main pollutants, including nitrogen dioxide and sulfur dioxide, was down by up to 88% compared with 10 years ago. Air quality monitoring results show that sandstorms originating from areas outside of Beijing affected air quality last year. Chinese officials say a 10-year fishing ban in all key waters of the Yangtze River Basin has seen important progress. Data shows over 190 varieties of fish were spotted in key waters of the Yangtze River last year, an increase of 25 varieties from 2020. The Yangtze is China's largest waterway. Yi Yanrong is with the Yangtze River Basin Fisheries Supervision and Management Office of the Ministry of Agriculture. He says the diversity of aquatic creatures is gradually improving thanks to the ban. The ministry worked together with relevant departments as well as with provinces and cities along the Yangtze River to actively promote the implementation of policies and measures. The 10-year fishing ban in the Yangtze River has made significant progress as the biological integrity index of the mainstream of the Yangtze River, Poyang Lake and Dongting Lake has greatly improved. The 10-year fishing ban started on the first day of 2021. A new round of law enforcement operations are underway to enforce the ban in key waters of the Yangtze River Basin. China has rolled out measures to support the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of fishermen along the Yangtze River. The government has subsidized those who have ceased fishing and switched to other means of living, amounting to around 3.8 billion U.S. dollars. China is getting close to completing the main building of its fifth research station in Antarctica, in a coastal area of the Ross Sea. The main steel structure of the building is nearly finished. Wu Jiaobin, with the engineering group of China's 40th Antarctic Expedition team, says the installation of functional modules is underway. The main building has 84 modules. These include winter and summer dormitories, laboratories, offices and bathrooms. The standard module production was completed in local factories, including the interior finishing, which has greatly reduced the construction time on site here. 
The functional modules are designed with furnished bedrooms in warm colors, and they're built to withstand both the summer heat and the winter cold. Now it's 28 past the, the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 7 on Wednesday evening. Thursday will be sunny with a high of 7. Nanchang is 3 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 13. Elsewhere in Asia, Noto in Japan's earthquake-stricken Ishikawa prefecture will see rainfall with a low of 7. Thursday will be cloudy and 8. Islamabad is 7 this evening, overcast and 18 tomorrow. Vientiane is 18 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 29. Penal Pen is 24 overnight, cloudy and 35 tomorrow. Now it's time for a short break. So far this hour, radio message recordings show that the air controller did not permit the Japanese Coast Guard aircraft to enter the runway before a collision with a passenger plane. The head of Hamas has called the killing of the militant group's deputy leader a terrorist act. China and Thailand are working on reciprocal visa waiver policies set to take effect in March. Dou Hongyu with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. Experience the musical classics of the East. Mingle with the masters of Chinese music. Music Talks. Witness the sound of antiquity and modernity. We all enter this world with a universal greeting. We then learn to speak. Though our languages, cultures, and traditions may differ, we still share one thing in common. We have hope for humanity and the world. Hear the difference with CGTN Radio. Join our global network to connect with the world. CGTN Radio. Hear the difference. I love you. 我爱你. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you're a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Do Hongyu with you on this Wednesday. Still to come, in business, new measures to support China's private economy. In sports, Rafael Nadal's winning return at Brisbane International. In culture and entertainment, a Norwegian DJ's successful China tour. To contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. And first, today's headlines. Here's Tian Yu. Thank you, Hongyu. China says it's willing to provide necessary help to Japan in its earthquake relief efforts. The Chinese foreign ministry says no Chinese casualties have been reported so far. China has also offered condolences to the victims in the collision between two aircraft in Tokyo. The foreign ministry says no Chinese nationals were injured in the collision, and the Chinese embassy in Japan has made contact with 14 Hong Kong tourists who were aboard the passenger plane to provide assistance. 
Hamas has announced a freeze on ceasefire negotiations with Israel after the faction's deputy chief was killed in an attack in Lebanon. Earlier, a Hamas source said several aides of Salah al-Arari were also killed in the attack, targeting a Hamas office in the southern suburb of the Lebanese capital. An Israeli military spokesperson says he refused to comment on whether there's an expected retaliation for the killing of a senior Hamas official. Rear Admiral Daniel Hagari made the remarks after Hamas deputy chief was killed in an attack in Lebanon. I will answer clearly, like I said in the statement, I want to respond to what was heard here or elsewhere. We are focused on the battle against Hamas from the beginning and will continue to do so. And we'll update the public with instructions when needed, and we change and specify instructions accordingly. Hamas has announced a freeze on ceasefire negotiations with Israel after the death of Sally al-Arari. It also says it, it rejects any talks about reaching a ceasefire in Gaza amid what, is, what it describes as assassination schemes against Palestinian leaders and escalated Israeli aggression. Israeli media citing senior officials said the country is on high alert against possible retaliation by Hamas. South Korean opposition leader Lee Jae-myeon is recovering in intensive care after an attempt on his life by a knife-wielding man. Lee was stabbed in the neck during a visit to Busan on Tuesday morning. He was transported by helicopter to a hospital in Seoul for surgery after receiving an emergency treatment in Busan. The suspect is in custody and police are investigating the incident. Sudan's paramilitary rapid support forces says it is open to an immediate, unconditional ceasefire through talks with the Sudanese army. This comes as the RSF signed a, de- a declaration in Addis Ababa with the coordination of the civilian democratic forces known as the Takadam Civilian Coalition. The coalition has invited the Sudanese army to do the same. The Addis Ababa declaration is expected to serve as the basis for further negotiations and a political settlement. RSF leader Mohamed Hamdan Daglo says the declaration includes stopping the clashes between the two sides. We are now extending our hands for peace. If they want peace, welcome. Nothing will make us leave Khartoum except peace. The declaration also includes commitments to return displaced people to their homes, create safe passages, and involve civilian issues in peace talks. Sudan has been mired in clashes between the RSF and the Sudanese armed forces since since April last year. Over 12,000 people have been killed in the fighting. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky says Russia has fired nearly 300 missiles and more than 200 combat drones against Ukraine since last Friday. He said Russia launched almost 100 missiles on Tuesday, killing at least five people and injuring 130 others. The attacks targeted mostly the Ukrainian capital and the city of Kharkiv. Meantime, Russia said Ukraine's missile attack on the uh, on the Russian border city of Belgorod killed one person and left five injured. The Russian Defense Ministry said 17 missiles from Ukraine were destroyed over the Belgrade region by on-duty air defense systems on Tuesday. The president of Harvard University has resigned from her position after just six months in the row. Claudine Gay's half-year tenure was the shortest in Harvard's history. She has been under pressure for weeks for her congressional testimony about anti-Semitism on campus and the claims that she failed to properly cite sources in her academic papers. The university's provost and chief academic officer has agreed to serve as interim president. 
an electric vehicle charging network has begun operations in China's westernmost region, with charging facilities now serving, servicing highway service areas across Xinjiang. The vast region's highway network stretches over 220,000 kilometers. There are 683 charging piles along highways across the region. Local transport department figures show that 50,000 new energy vehicles now run on the roads in Xinjiang. Thank you very much. That was Tian Yu with Headline News. This is Do Hongyu in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, new measures to support China's private economy. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China Africa Talk. Find us on your favorite podcast. We'll see you there. 36 past the hour. Turning to business, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Hongyu. The Chinese mainland markets closed mixed on Wednesday. Here's Timothy Pope with a detailed report. Uh, the Shanghai Composite Index, though, was uh, one of the uh, few Asian markets to inch higher, uh, despite a, a general sense of gloom that uh, persists among uh, equity investors around the region. It managed to climb a bit less than a fifth of one percent. Uh, we saw the Shenzhen Component Index declining, though, by about three quarters of a percent. Investors are still waiting for signs of a solid uh, economic recovery, according to market watchers. One thing, though, uh, that did get a lot of interest was the new index uh, for Chinese A shares, the CSI A. 50 index. Uh, this one tracks some of the most well-known companies on the Chinese mainland markets, but unlike the CSI 300, doesn't include so many from traditional industries. It's being billed uh, as better representing the modern Chinese economy and the sectors that the Chinese government really wants to focus on. Uh, we have uh, some of the expected big names on that index, including China's most expensive stock, the liquor maker Guizhou Maltai. There's also uh, the electric vehicle battery maker CATL, security system maker uh, Hangzhou Hikvision, uh, Ping'an Insurance and uh, the drug maker Wuxi Aptec. Now, uh, according to the regulators, they've received uh, applications from at least seven mutual funds that want to create uh, ETFs that track the A50 just in the first 24 hours after its launch. Uh, but the A50 itself uh, closed a little bit lower, however. That was Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was down 0.8%. In Japan, the Nikkei went down 0.2%. China's top economic regulator says more pragmatic measures will be taken to enhance support for the private economy. At a meeting in Fujian province, officials from the National Development and Reform Commission expressed optimism about the private economy and vowed continued support. Gaoang has the details. To shore up the confidence of private enterprises and promote the high-quality development of the private economy, China's top economic planner has announced new measures to fuel growth. The meeting will also release the National Financing Credit Services Platform, built by the National Development and Reform Commission and other relevant departments. Private enterprises will also sign cooperation agreements with financial institutions and release initiatives. The meeting stressed the success of the Jinjiang experience. Over the years, Jinjiang has transformed from a poor county to the top one in Fujian province, 
with its GDP hitting more than 300 billion yuan or 40 billion U.S. dollars in 2022. It has achieved this by focusing on developing the private and real economies, while allowing firms of all types to innovate and promote an entrepreneurial spirit. Private enterprises contribute more than 90% of its output value, tax revenue, and employment. Relevant national departments have successively introduced a series of policy measures to boost private investment, promote fair access, strengthen legal protection, and financial support. These have injected strong impetus into the development of the private economy, where it can be said development opportunities outweigh challenges. Officials say imports and exports by private enterprises increased by more than six percent year on year during the first 11 months of last year. Making it a major driving force of China's foreign trade. That was Gaolang reporting. Meanwhile, Deputy Governor Liu Lei of the Central Bank says China will continue to ramp up its financial support for private businesses. We will gradually increase the proportion of loans granted to private enterprises, focusing on areas of science and technology, green development, inclusiveness, old age care, and digital finance. We will increase credit loans for private enterprises in key areas. The People's Bank of China has repeatedly lowered the required reserve ratio to support inclusive loans to micro and small enterprises in recent years. In the bond market, the central bank has helped private enterprises to finance via corporate bonds, backing 140 private firms to issue bonds worth over 34 billion U.S. dollars. For more on China's efforts in improving its business environment, Jiang Junfeng spoke with senior UBS economist Jiang Ning. There has been a raft of measures announced by、uh, or implemented by the Chinese government to innovation-driven growth and attract foreign investors.、Uh, going to 2024, do you think these are sufficient? Hopefully.、Uh, so, possible here that we expect China's GDP growth to moderate to 4.4 percent in the next year.、Uh, a modest micro policy support. Will help offset the drag from continuing the proper downturn and、uh, revive the market sentiment and corporate confidence.、Uh, for example, we see the、uh, modest fiscal support in a more explicit way, a decent headline fiscal deficit, larger quota of special local government bonds, and also stronger support from central government. For the monetary policy, we see additional 10 to 20 BPs policy cut, and also more triple cut in next year. So, in particular. Actually, the government clearly and significantly emphasized better policy co- coordination and implementation, and the consistency of micro policies by incorporating non-economic policy measures into assessment. We think it means the policy coordination、uh, may improve in next year, which will help increase policy effect and avoid unintended tightening.、Uh, it also indicates a continued normalization of regulatory policies. And a more friendly policy environment from some sectors, and、uh, also, you know, the government、uh, also reiterated its long-term commitment to supporting non-SOE and foreign investors,、uh, in- including、uh, better access of uh, uh, different sectors, fire law enforcement, and property protection, etc.、Uh, for foreign investors, I believe the government plans to open up further and welcome foreign investors and investment. Uh, with easier market access in service sectors and plans to deal with cross-border data issues, all these kind of measures should help、uh, show up the、uh, confidence among foreign investors. 
That was Jiang Ning, a senior economist at UBS. China's logistics sector grew more quickly in December. The index tracking the country's logistics market performance, or the Logistic Prosperity Index, stood at 53.5 last month, up 0.2 from November. A reading above 50 indicates expansion, while a reading below that reflects contraction. Director Liu Yuhang of the China Logistics Information Center says China's logistics industry has maintained a good momentum of steady growth. Main sub-indexes of the Logistic Prosperity Index continue to be in the high expansion range. In particular, total business volume saw accelerated growth during the period, which shows the logistics sector has been stable and improving. The Business Activity Expectation Index in December stood at 54.8, with that for railway and air transportation, warehousing and postal and express delivery all showing expansion. The U.S. federal government's total public debt has reached $34 trillion for the first time. The milestone comes shortly after the federal debt topped $33 trillion in September, amid rising federal deficits fueled by falling tax revenues and rising federal expenditures. The debt equates to around $100,000 per person in the U.S. A higher debt load could put upward pressure on inflation and cause interest rates to remain. Elevated, which could also increase the cost of repaying the national debt. Republican lawmakers and the White House agreed last June to temporarily lift the nation's debt limit. That agreement lasts until January 2025. Figures show foreign holdings of U.S. debt peaked at 49% in 2011, but dropped to 30% by the end of 2022. China is poised to overtake Japan to become the world's leading automobile exporter. Preliminary data from the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers indicates a 58% year-on-year increase in Chinese car exports. This equates to around 4.4 million units shipped in the first 11 months in 2023, while Japan's export volume reached nearly 4 million units for the same period. Chinese electric vehicle manufacturers are becoming increasingly competitive in the global market. The country's NEVs have been among the top 10 sales performers in Thailand for 11 consecutive months. In the fiercely competitive European market, some Chinese products have also made the top 10. China's leading electric vehicle manufacturer BYD,、uh, BYD sold a record 526,000 electric cars in the final quarter of 2023. The number outpaced Tesla in global electric car sales. The American car maker shipped a record 485,000 vehicles during the period. For the whole year in 2023, BYD sold more than 3 million NEV units, which includes battery-only vehicles and hybrids. Meanwhile, Chinese automaker Cherry Holding Group also reported strong sales in 2023. The company sold over 1.8 million vehicles in the year, up 52% on a yearly basis. Thank you, and that was Wang Zhang with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Rafael Nadal's winning return at Brisbane International. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 
It's 47 minutes past the hour. Turning to sports, here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Hong Yu. Rafael Nadal's long-awaited return to tennis has turned out better than most people had expected after a year out due to injury. The 37-year-old Spaniard showed no signs of rust at the Brisbane International in a 7-5-6-1 win over Dominic Thiem. Nadal raised his arms and kept grinning after his first match since his second-round exit at the Australian Open last January. I really think that I don't forget how to play tennis. Uh, the only thing is going to be difficult to make it in a professional match and in a, in a very high level of tennis. Because at the end, you need to recover movement, something that uh, takes time. Uh, you need to recover the confidence on the movements. <laughs> that takes time because at the end, after the surgery, you feel scared sometimes to do a kind of movement. And you need to recover the speed on reading the ball and uh, on making the things uh, in automatic way something that you need matches to, to make it happen. Nadal made just a handful of unforced errors and lost only six points on his serve in the entire match. He's playing on a wild card in Brisbane and will next meet Australian player Jason Kubler, who was once at a piece with Aslan Karatsev when the number eight seed retired injured. Emma Raducanu has also made a winning return to tennis, but in a more difficult fashion after eight months out following injuries. The former U.S. Open champion beat Romania's Elena Gabriela Ruiz in three sets to set up a last 16 tie against the second seed Elena Svitlina in Auckland. After failing to take her first three match points and seeing a 5-2 lead slip to 5-4, Raducanu crucially claimed the three bricks, kicking on to eventually claim the match. Meantime, Naomi Osaka's first tournament appearance in more than two years ended with the second-round defeat to 16th seed Carolina cover at Brisbane International. Following, following an opening round win over Tamara Kopach, Osaka failed to keep her momentum and was outlasted in three sets. Stay with tennis. Team China's United Cup campaign ended in the quarterfinals after a 2-0 defeat to Poland. Zhang Zhizhen lost in straight sets against Hubert Hirkert in the men's singles before Zheng Qingwen suffered her fifth consecutive defeat to women's world number one Iga Svantec. Earlier in the day, Caroline Garcia and Adrian Manoreno led France past Italy and into the quarterfinals. They will next face Norway. Serbia, led by Novak Djokovic, plays host Australia in the last eight. Djokovic has been bothered by a wrist injury during the tournament, but found a way past Jiri Lehačka in Serbia's last Group E match against the Czech Republic. English teenager Luke Littler has reached the final of the World Darts Championship, extending one of the most unlikely stories in the history of the sport. The 16-year-old beat 2018 champion Rob Cross 6-2 to get into Wednesday's title match against Luke Humphries. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable to even think I'm in the final, like you said, just to win a game and come back after Christmas and I'm still standing. There's, just, there's no pressure. Like I've said, it's my first, my first time being here. And I'm still here, so it's just I just take it in my stride and take it game by game. Littler is an unseeded player from Morocco and who studied throwing darts as a toddler. He now has a chance to earn six hundred thirty thousand US dollars by winning the final. Littler has made front page headlines with his amazing round that also included eliminating multiple former world champion and his idol Raymond van Bachtenveld. Obviously, I've got a lot of followers now. I've had a message off Luke Shaw from Manchester United, Rio Ferdinand, and I had a message off Gary Neville and Johnny Evans before my game against Barney, I think. 
so it's just crazy. It's people who I've looked up to, and especially my, my club, Manchester United, wishing me luck. Little as the fairy tale campaign started on December 20th when he beat Christian Kist in the first round to be the youngest player to win the match at the tournament. Second-tier English club Birmingham has fired Wayne Rooney as the manager after just 15 games. Rooney earned only two wins since his appointment in October. Birmingham was sixth in the championship when he started and has fallen to 20th. The club was taken over last summer by a company owned by American businessman Tom Wagner. It then got rid of popular coach John Eustace, who had been in charge for 15 months and steered the club away from relegation. Birmingham lost to Leeds 3-0 on Monday and the supporters called for the removal of Rooney. And finally, in the NBA, the Oklahoma City Thunder completed another signature win by holding off the league-leading Boston Celtics 127-123. OKC has won eight of the past nine games. During that stretch, the Thunder beat defending champion Denver twice, and the Clippers winning streak at nine, beat Western Conference leader Minnesota and now top the Celtics. Shai Gilgis Alexander scored 36 points, including two free throws with three seconds left to put the game away. Elsewhere, the Memphis Grizzlies used the second-half spur to beat the San Antonio Spurs 106-98. John Morant had 26 points, 10 assists, and a stunning fourth-quarter dunk over big man Victor Wembanyama. Morant called the slam dunk a late Christmas gift for fans. <laughs> but like that's you know your first little high school dunk right there. You know just put the ball over the rim, hang on the rim. My pops called that a hard layup. So I mean I'll take it though. That's you know what everybody wanted. So late Christmas gift, Happy New Year gift. Meantime, Joel Embiid staged a 31-point triple-double in his return from a sprained right ankle, and the Philadelphia beat the Chicago Bulls 110-97. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment, a Norwegian DJ's successful China tour. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi everyone, I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. It's 54 past the hour. Now let's move on to culture and entertainment. World-renowned DJ Alan Walker says his China tour allowed him to see the unique Chinese culture across different cities. Walker finished his tour last month after visiting Chengdu, Shenzhen, Wuhan and Shanghai. Famous for revolutionizing the DJ scene since he released the hit song Faded, Walker has created a virtual Walker world, captivating a global fan community. Leonie Zumer met him in Shanghai, talking about his experiences and collaborations with local traditional instruments and his plan in 2024. Would you say that there's anything different about a Chinese audience than anywhere else you've performed before? I think what makes it really special for me to come to China is the fact that uh, the Chinese audience has always been there for me and my music. Ever since my first song, Fade, blew up on the internet. And I think the Chinese market was the first market to really show interest and passion and love for my music. Is there anything that you think speaks particularly about your music to a Chinese audience? I think there's something with the culture and being really appreciative of the harmonic melodies. And I think I've seen that in so many of the local instruments. Everything has like beautiful melodies. And I think that's kind of like what resonates with the audience here. 
Speaking of traditional instruments, I've seen you collaborated with a Suona player in Chengdu. Yeah. That blew up. How did that collaboration come about? My team invited Suanu, a player, and then uh, he gifted me the uh, Suanu. We had also seen his performance of uh, some talent show here in China. He joined us on my, one of my biggest songs, This Factor, and did a great job. Could you imagine collaborating with other Chinese musicians or incorporate more traditional Chinese music in your own music in the future? Absolutely. It could influence my music. You can create something incredible just by including some traditional Chinese instruments. You can learn so much and even from the past, like working with different Chinese artists, like I've learned so much just from their understanding of music and their musical language. You have promised that come 2024, you're going to release one song every month. What made you decide on this quite unusual approach of releasing new music? So I think uh, like an interesting approach is to just experiment, have fun with music and just release as much as I can. Because I think I'm going to try and go a little bit back more to the original Alan Walker sound. At the same time as I'm more in the modern era of Alan Walker. When Faded was released, I was 17. It was such a learning curve and I'm still learning today. Everything that I put out today is pretty much just me experimenting, playing around and at the same time listening to the community. Now, finally being back here in China, I'm just so happy. Happy to hear that the shows are doing so well. I think it's the first of many more shows that we'll be doing here in China because I got a big heart for China and I think China has a big heart for me. That was Leonie Zumer speaking with Norwegian DJ Alan Walker. Long-awaited TV series Blossom Shanghai has become one of the most popular dramas during the New Year holiday. It launched in two versions, Mandarin and the Shanghai dialect. Adapted from writer Jing Yucheng's award-winning novel Blossoms, the series takes audience back to Shanghai in the early 1990s, following the rise of an ambitious young businessman. Iconic Hong Kong director Wang Kar Wai purchased the, the adaptation copyright of the novel around a decade ago and spent three years shooting the TV series. It's also Wang's first detec- um, directorial television project, making it one of the most anticipated works for his fans. Now it's 58 minutes past the hour. Let's check the weather. Beijing is minus 7 on Wednesday evening. Thursday will be sunny with a high of 7. Nanchang is 3 tonight, tomorrow sunny and 13. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad is 7 this evening, overcast and 18 tomorrow. Vientiane is 18 overnight, tomorrow sunny and 29. Penal Pen is 24 tonight, cloudy and 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi will see light rain with a high of 27 on Thursday. Kampala is 21 overnight, tomorrow will have light rain with a high of 24. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, radio message recordings show that the air controller did not permit the, Chinese, the Japanese Coast Guard aircraft to enter the runway before a collision with a passenger plane. On behalf of the staff, this is Dou Hongyu in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. Take away Chinese, where you can take some Chinese away and experience progress day by day. Take away Chinese, we will promise you a difference. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you live from Beijing. From Beijing. 
Roundtable. 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 Connecting China and the world. We bring you fun and timely discussions about what's affecting our lives everywhere, every day. Tune in to Roundtable, where the East meets the West, and understanding is the goal. From north to south, east to west, people in China are chasing their dreams and leaving their mark. Want to know how they beat the odds and made a difference? Footprints brings you the true life stories of their journeys. 